Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we have a Lunatics Library episode for you filled with fairy tales. Lunatics Fairy Tale Hour. That's right. And so not only do we have John Cook of the Fado podcast return to read three classic fairy tales for us. Big, big fan of John Cook. Big fan of John Cook. We also have Dan Roberts, who is a dear friend of the podcast, wrote, especially for this episode, a modern fairy tale that we're going to read at the end. Did he really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Which, well, you're going to read at the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So let's, without further ado, because we have, we have many fairy tales to get into today. Okay. We're going to start with one, and this might be the only one that you're, that general population is familiar with. Okay. It was the only one that I'm, I was familiar with before this. Published in 1812 by the Brothers Grimm, mm-hmm. a long-haired princess. You know where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Rapunzel has read by John Cook. Once upon a time, there was a man and a woman who had long, but to no avail, wished for a child. Finally, the woman came to believe that the good Lord would fulfill her wish. Through the small rear window of these people's house, they could see into a splendid garden that was filled with the most beautiful flowers and herbs. The garden was surrounded by a high wall, and no one dared enter, because it belonged to a sorceress who possessed great power, and was feared by everyone. One day the woman was standing at this window, and she saw a bed planted with the most beautiful Rapunzel. It looked so fresh and green that she longed for some. It was her greatest desire to eat some of the Rapunzel— This desire increased with every day, and not knowing how to get any, she became miserably ill. Her husband was frightened and asked her, "'What ails you, dear wife?' "'Oh,' she answered, "'if I do not get some Rapunzel from the garden behind the house, I shall die.' The man, who loved her dearly, thought, "'Before you let your wife die, you must get her some of the Rapunzel, whatever the cost.' So, just as it was getting dark, he climbed over the high wall into the sorceress's garden, hastily dug up a handful of Rapunzel, and took it to his wife. She immediately made a salad from it, which she devoured eagerly. It tasted so very good to her that by the next day her desire for more had grown threefold. If she were to have any peace, the man would have to climb into the garden once again. Thus he set forth once again just as it was getting dark, but no sooner than he had climbed over the wall than, to his horror, he saw the sorceress standing there before him. "'How can you dare,' she asked with an angry look, "'to climb into my garden like a thief to steal my Rapunzel? You will pay for this.' "'Oh,' he answered, "'let mercy overrule justice.' I came to do this out of necessity. My wife saw your Rapunzel from our window, and such a longing came over her that she would die if she did not get some to eat. The sorceress's anger abated somewhat, and she said, If things are as you say, I will allow you to take as much Rapunzel as you want, but under one condition. You must give me the child that your wife will bring to the world. It will do well, and I will take care of it like a mother." In his fear, the man agreed to everything. 
when the woman gave birth, the sorceress appeared, named the little girl Rapunzel, and took her away. Rapunzel became the most beautiful child under the sun. When she was twelve years old, the sorceress locked her in a tower that stood in a forest and had neither door nor stairway, but only a tiny window at the very top. When the sorceress wanted to enter, she stood below and called out, "'Rapunzel! Rapunzel! Let down your hair to me!' Rapunzel had splendid long hair, as fine as spun gold. When she heard the sorceress's voice, she untied her braids, wound them around a window-hook, let her hair fall twenty yards to the ground, and the sorceress climbed up it. A few years later it happened that a king's son was riding through the forest— as he approached the tower he heard a song so beautiful that he stopped to listen. It was Rapunzel who was passing the time by singing with her sweet voice. The prince wanted to climb up to her, and looked for a door in the tower, but none was to be found. He rode home, but the song had so touched his heart that he returned to the forest every day and listened to it. One time, as he was thus standing behind a tree, he saw the sorceress approach and heard her say— "'Rapunzel! Rapunzel! Let down your hair!' Then Rapunzel let down her strands of hair, and the sorceress climbed up them to her. "'If that is the ladder into the tower, then sometime I will try my luck.' And the next day, just as it was beginning to get dark, he went to the tower and called out, "'Rapunzel! Rapunzel! Let down your hair!' The hair fell down, and the prince climbed up. At first Rapunzel was terribly frightened when a man such as she had never seen before came in to her. However, the prince began talking to her in a very friendly manner, telling her that his heart had been so touched by her singing that he could have no peace until he had seen her in person. Then Rapunzel lost her fear, and when he asked her if she would take him as her husband, she thought, "'He would rather have me than would old Frau Gothel.' She said yes." and placed her hand into his. She said, I would go with you gladly, but I do not know how to get down. Every time that you come, bring a strand of silk, from which I will weave a ladder. When it is finished, I will climb down, and you can take me away on your horse. They arranged that he would come to her every evening, for the old woman came by day. The sorceress did not notice what was happening until one day Rapunzel said to her, Frau Gothel, "'Tell me why it is that you are more difficult to pull up "'than is the young prince who will be arriving any moment now.' "'You godless child!' cried the sorceress. "'What am I hearing from you? "'I thought I had removed you from the whole world, "'but you have deceived me none the less.' "'And in her anger she grabbed Rapunzel's beautiful hair, "'wrapped it a few times around her left hand, "'grasped a pair of scissors with her right hand, "'and snip-snap cut it off.' and she was so unmerciful that she took Rapunzel into a wilderness where she suffered greatly. On the evening of the same day that she sent Rapunzel away, the sorceress tied the cut-off hair to the hook at the top of the tower, and when the prince called out, "'Rapunzel! Rapunzel! Let down your hair!' she let down the hair. The prince climbed up, but above, instead of his beloved Rapunzel, he found the sorceress, who peered at him with poisonous and evil looks. "'Aha!' she cried scornfully. "'You have come for your mistress, darling, but that beautiful bird is no longer sitting in her nest, nor is she singing any more. The cat got her, and will scratch your eyes out as well. 
You have lost Rapunzel. You will never see her again. The prince was overcome with grief, and in his despair he threw himself from the tower. He escaped with his life, but the thorns into which he fell poked out his eyes. Blind, he wandered about in the forest, eating nothing but grass and roots, and doing nothing but weeping and wailing over the loss of his beloved wife. Thus he wandered about miserably for some years, finally happening into the wilderness where Rapunzel lived miserably with the twins that she had given birth to. He heard a voice and thought it was familiar. He advanced toward it, and as he approached, Rapunzel recognized him, and crying, threw her arms around his neck. Two of her tears fell into his eyes, and they became clear once again, and he could see as well as before. He led her into his kingdom, where he was received with joy, and for a long time they lived happily and satisfied. Well, that was both entertaining and educational. You think so? I I know so. John did a great job. He did. He taught me such facts as Rapunzel is a weed. Yes, exactly. I didn't know that before either. I always wondered how they climbed up her hair without, you know, snapping her neck. Yeah. But they used, like, the little window hook. Right. Which was quite clever. Yeah, exactly. Pulley system. Well, no, not a pulley system. Just just leverage. (laughs) So what do you think the moral is of that story? Um, don't trust people that are different. (laughs) Yeah, I think there you go. It's hard to find a good moral in this one because it's kind of like, okay, well, don't steal. But then... No, stealing wasn't the problem. She like ended up, you're right, that was the don't give away your baby. But then that kind of worked out. Don't, you know lied to the witch but then she, don't, don't. They, he, she cried into his eyes and everything was okay i mean don't tap the witch's daughter tap yeah tap <laughs> i guess so there you go you heard it here first so that's why she got mad right because rapunzel's all pregnant any parent would probably be upset some boy sneaking into your daughter's room we don't know how old she is she's a captive she's allowed to have love what if she's like 35? What if she was 14? Well, yeah, then that would be upsetting. I guess that changes things. Sure does. <laughs> All right, shall we move and on to the next? Suddenly the sorceress is Child Protective Services. <laughs> Hopefully the next one doesn't have any long-haired vixens. That's right. The next one I don't believe does. It was originally published October 1840 by Hans Christian Andersen. Okay. Here we go. Prince, as read by John Cook. Once upon a time, there was a proud and wicked prince who thought only about how he might conquer all the nations of the earth and make his name a terror to all mankind. He plunged forth with fire and sword. His soldiers trampled down the grain in the fields and put the torch to the peasant's cottage so that the red flames licked the very leaves from the trees and the fruit hung roasted from black and charred limbs. Many a poor mother caught up her naked baby and tried to hide behind the smoking walls, but the soldiers followed her, and if they found her and the child, they began their devilish pleasure. Evil spirits could do no worse— but the prince rejoiced in it all. Day by day his power increased, 
His name was feared by all, and fortune followed him in all his deeds. From the conquered cities he carried away gold and precious treasures, until he had amassed in his capital riches such as were unequaled in any other place. Then he built superb palaces and temples and arches, and whoever saw his magnificence said, What a great prince! Never did they think of the misery he had brought upon other lands. Never did they listen to the groans and lamentations from cities laid waste by fire. The prince gazed upon his gold, looked at his superb buildings, and thought like the crowd, What a great prince! But I must have more, much more. There is no power that can equal, much less surpass mine. And so he warred with his neighbors until all were defeated. The conquered kings were chained to his chariot with chains of gold when he drove through the streets, and when he sat at the table they lay at the feet of the prince and his courtiers, eating such scraps as might be thrown to them. Now the prince had his own statue set up in the marketplaces and the palaces. Yes, he would even have set it in the churches, on the altars, but to this the priest said, Prince, you are great, but God is greater. We dare not obey your orders. Well, said the evil prince, then I shall conquer God too. In the pride and folly of his heart, he had built a splendidly constructed ship in which he could sail through the air. It was as colorful as a peacock's tail and seemed decorated with a thousand eyes, but each eye was the barrel of a cannon. The prince could sit in the center of the ship, and upon his touching a certain button, a thousand bullets would stream forth, and the guns would at once be reloaded. Hundreds of strong eagles were harnessed to the ship, and so it flew away, up and up toward the sun. Far beneath lay the earth. At first its mountains and forests appeared like a plowed field, with a tuft of green peeping out here and there from the sod. Then it seemed like an unrolled map and finally it was wholly hidden in mists and clouds as the eagles flew higher and higher. Then God sent forth a single one of his countless angels, and immediately the prince let fly a thousand bullets at him, but they fell back like hail from the angel's shining wings. Then one drop of blood, just one, fell from one of the angel's white wing feathers onto the ship of the prince. There it burned itself into it, and its weight of a thousand hundredweights of lead hurled the ship back down with terrible speed to the earth. The mighty wings of the eagles were broken, the winds roared about the head of the prince, and the clouds on every side, sprung from the smoke of burned cities, formed themselves into menacing shapes. Some were like mile-long crabs stretching out their huge claws toward him, others were like tumbling boulders or fire-breathing dragons, the prince lay half-dead in his ship, until it was finally caught in the tangled branches of a dense forest. "'I will conquer God,' he said. "'I have sworn it. My will shall be done.' Then for seven years he built other magnificent ships in which to sail through the air, and had lightning beams forged from the hardest of steels to batter down the battlements of heaven itself.' From all the conquered countries he assembled vast armies which, when formed in battle array, covered mile after mile of ground. They embarked in the magnificent ships, but as the prince approached his own, God sent forth a swarm of gnats, 
just one little swarm, which buzzed about the prince and stung his face and hands. In rage he drew his sword, but he could only cut the empty air. He could not strike the gnats. Then he ordered that he be brought costly cloths, which were to be wrapped around him so that no gnat could reach him with its sting. His orders were carried out, but one little gnat had concealed itself in the innermost covering, and now it crept into the prince's ear and stung him. It smarted like fire, and the poison rushed into his brain. He tore the clothes loose and flung them far away from him, rent his garments into rags, and danced naked before the rugged and savage soldiers. Now they could only mock at the mad prince who had started out to conquer God, and had himself been conquered by a single little gnat. Well, I think the lesson in that one is very clear. It was quite a roller coaster. Yeah, I love the mile long crabs particularly stuck out in my mind. I thought that was supposed to be an analogy for like this for smoke. It doesn't matter. It's it was still, actually mile long. Wait, so it still prompted the imagery in my head. Well, okay. So this, this is a sea spider. This was a tough one because I wasn't really sure who to root for along the way. You weren't sure? Well, no, because we start off and, you know, this. This prince is being like a colossal dick. Sure. Right? And obviously, we don't care about him. We want him to die. Right. You know? Yeah. As we do with all dicks. <laughs> yeah. But then he makes this ship that's like harnessed to thousands of eagles and has a thousand guns that only get fired all at once by a single button. And like, that's pretty metal. <laughs> sure. So like, I'm back on board. It's pretty evil, though. I mean, yeah. He's taking but, down God. Well, he's trying to. I mean, yeah. But, and I, I, we know we know where the how this one's going to end. Well, yeah, we just listen to it. But then he starts, you know, fighting angels, which mm-hmm. you know that can go either way. <laughs> yeah. But then he starts like making angels bleed, and like the blood is like super dense and it's like depleted uranium and just like falls onto the ship and just like makes it all counterbalance and falls. Yeah. Like that's awesome. <laughs> okay. But then he just. He, he wraps himself up in cloth to fight off the gnats. It's like, come on, we've all been there. I'm going to have to come in as a hard stance against the prince on this one. I just want to make that super clear. I mean... You, You're I, entitled to your opinion. I'm very anti the wicked prince. I respect his ambition. His ambition to take down God? No, more of his, like, showboating. It's like Iron Man. Yeah. He's like Iron Man Act 1 before he realizes his bombs are being, like, used by the Taliban. Right. Okay. I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. I mean, no, we... I'm pretty sure we can agree that the prince was pretty evil. You don't think his ambition was his downfall? I mean, it absolutely was. was So don't admire it, 100% hubris. Don't... Then I don't admire his ambition. But you have to look at it through the lens of without the prince, we would never have the the flying eagle ship right that we all know and love today exactly <laughs> so it's, it's a it's a give or take situation sure which is what all relationships are <laughs> who's he in a relationship with the eagles or we are I, I i yeah i think i think we're all in a relationship with the prince in our own way sure like lord of the rings obviously you know he gets like beaten down and he's like no, i'm still gonna do it and then of course he just gets further humiliated like, yeah, I think it's cool when your ship gets taken down by angels, but when you get taken down by a gnat, 
It's like, come on, dude. I'm even trying. <laughs> Very good. All right. The next story. Charles Pro. Do you remember him, Alan? Charles Pro? Yeah. No. From the history episodes that we just did. Oh, I don't listen to those. <laughs> you were there for it, though. So Charles Pro was is the third fairy tale publisher that we talked about. He was very prolific. He was French. He wrote this sometime in the late 1600s, so the earliest one that we're going to read today. Oh. Take it away, John Cook. The fairy as read by John Cook. Once upon a time, there was a widow who had two daughters. The elder was so much like her, both in looks and character, that whoever saw the daughter saw the mother. They were both so disagreeable and so proud that there was no living with them. The younger, who was the very picture of her father for sweetness of temper and virtue, was withal one of the most beautiful girls ever seen. As people naturally love their own likenesses, this mother doted on her elder daughter, and at the same time had great aversion for the younger. She made her eat in the kitchen and work continually. Among other things, this unfortunate child had to go twice a day to draw water more than a mile and a half from the house, and bring home a pitcherful of it. One day, as she was at this fountain, there came to her a poor woman, who begged of her to let her drink. "'Oh, yes, with all my heart, Goody,' said this pretty little girl. Rinsing the pitcher at once, she took some of the clearest water from the fountain and gave it to her, holding up the pitcher all the while that she might drink the easier. The good woman, having drunk, said to her, "'You are so pretty, so good and courteous, that I cannot help giving you a gift.' For this was a fairy." who had taken the form of a poor countrywoman to see how far the civility and good manners of this pretty girl would go. "'I will give for you a gift,' continued the fairy, "'that at every word you speak there shall come out of your mouth either a flower or a jewel.' When this pretty girl returned, her mother scolded at her for staying so long at the fountain. "'I beg your pardon, mamma," said the poor girl, "'for not making more haste.' And in speaking these words there came out of her mouth two roses, two pearls, and two large diamonds. "'What is it I see there?' said her mother, quite astonished. "'I think pearls and diamonds come out of the girl's mouth. How happens this, my child?' This was the first time she had ever called her my child. The girl told her frankly all the matter, not without dropping out great numbers of diamonds. "'Truly,' cried the mother, I must send my own dear child thither. Fanny, look at what comes out of your sister's mouth when she speaks. Would you not be glad, my dear, to have the same gift? You have only to go and draw water out of the fountain, and when a poor woman asks you to let her drink, to give it to her very civilly. I should like to see myself going to the fountain to draw water, said this ill-bred minx. I insist you shall go, said the mother, and that instantly. She went, but grumbled all the way, taking with her the best silver tankard in the house. She no sooner reached the fountain than she saw, coming out of the wood, a magnificently dressed lady, who came up to her and asked to drink. This was the same fairy who had appeared to her sister, but she had now taken the air and dress of a princess, to see how far this girl's rudeness would go. "'Am I come hither,' said the proud, ill-bred girl, "'to serve you with water, pray?' 
I suppose this silver tankard was brought purely for your ladyship, was it? However, you may drink out of it if you have a fancy. You are scarcely polite, answered the fairy, without anger. Well, then, since you are so disobliging, I give you for a gift that at every word you speak there shall come out of your mouth a snake or a toad. So soon as her mother saw her coming, she cried out, "'Well, daughter?' "'Well, mother,' answered the unhappy girl, throwing out of her mouth a viper and a toad. "'Oh, mercy!' cried the mother. "'What is it I see? It is her sister who has caused all this, but she shall pay for it,' and immediately ran to beat her. The poor child fled away from her and went to hide herself in the forest nearby. The king's son, who was returning from the chase, met her, and seeing her so beautiful, asked her what she did there alone and why she cried. "'Alas, sir, my mother has turned me out of doors.' The king's son, who saw five or six pearls and as many diamonds come out of her mouth, desired her to tell him how that happened. She told him the whole story. The king's son fell in love with her, and considering that such a gift was worth more than any marriage portion another bride could bring, conducted her to the palace of the king, his father, and there married her. As for her sister, she made herself so much hated that her own mother turned her out of doors. The miserable girl, after wandering about and finding no one to take her in, went to a corner of the wood, and there died. Can you even imagine having snakes or even flowers come out of your mouth whenever you talk? Yeah. It, I, it's such a weird mechanic. There's so many ups and downs to both, mm -hmm. you know. Obviously, the jewels and the flowers is like a lot of wealth and beauty. If people find out about you, you're probably going to be sold into slavery to the beers. Imagine making like a presidential speech and just having flowers come out of your mouth. You'd never Speaking get that at far. your graduation. They would throw you in a cell mm -hmm. and like prod you until you speak, just to like harvest your jewels. That's dark. Yeah. I guess you have to marry a prince to avoid that. But on the other hand, you have the, the, the snake lady and like, yeah, that's pretty inconvenient, but like vomiting vipers is again, pretty metal. But it's not even, it's just every time you talk, a snake comes out of your mouth. Yeah, but you could scream cobras. <laughs> fucking awesome. Scream cobras. It's one of those, you, you'd be such a good assassin. You know, you're, you're the femme fatale, you seduce the man. With, without, with just, without speaking. With just smoldering looks. You uh -huh. know, you play, you play hard to get. You're finally, you know, you, you, you have them alone. And then all you have to do is say goodbye and like a fucking copperhead sneaks out of your mouth and bites him in the eyeballs. In the eyeballs? Yeah. Wow, that's violent. You should write a fairy tale. That's right. You've got the violent knack for it. Or you'd be making out uh -huh. and just like you could send a snake out of your mouth into Ew, his mouth. Alan, that's so gross. I, that's pretty cool. It's a night. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. <laughs> Keep that in mind. I mean, I don't even remember how it ended. I was just so fixated on... Uh, I actually, it's pretty upsetting how it ended. The the bad daughter well the good daughter gets married to the prince the bad daughter gets like like she just goes into the woods and dies alone the mother even turns her back on her even though the mother was really like the issue yeah the mother was the trouble right but she didn't get cursed did she she no the other girl the girl yeah. just like went alone and died it's pretty dark she had she had bad parenting 
<laughs> so yeah, I guess be a good parent. That's the lesson on this one. Yeah. So now modern modern fairy tale time. Sure, let's do it. The Subway Fairy, written by Dan Roberts, read by Alan Kudan. Cutlass darted his eyes while going down the stairs of the Grand Street Station subway entrance. Seeing no one to be worried about, he nonchalantly proceeded to the turnstiles and hopped over it. Breaking into the practiced stride of a person who had done nothing wrong, Cutlass felt a flash of heat as his nerves bucked briefly, but not hearing any yelling behind him, decided the crime had gone unnoticed. Less work for the police anyway, thought Cutlass. Less work for everyone if Cutlass could just get on the train. When Cutlass had been allowed to stay at his mom's again, he knew it was only a matter of days before he was out riding the rails again. Her boyfriend still didn't like him, and Cutlass wasn't in the mood to take his shit. You just go get the fuck out of here, Curtis. Nobody asked you to come home anyway. Cutlass could feel the sting of a tear streak down his face as his mother's words were played in his head. She couldn't even be bothered to use the name with which he identified. Shaking it off, he made his way down to the near-empty platform. The screen didn't have an expected train time so Cutlass sat on one of the metal benches partitioned to prevent an easy way to stretch out. The sort of ingenious design meant to keep vagrants like Cutlass from stretching out on it. Suddenly he noticed, across from him, smeared in a thankfully unknown brown material, was the question. Can't get comfortable? Cutlass sat up like he'd been shocked with a taser. He stared at the inscription, and in sudden fear and shock subsided as he laughed silently to himself. Well, some shitty tagger at least has a sense of humor. Cutlass leaned back in a mock-exaggerated sigh to himself and stopped when his eyes reached the apex. Suddenly, his eyes were laser-focused on the same unsettling font. Why not lay down in here? No sooner had Cutlass read the note than a whistle and horn began to whine from the tunnel and the train began to pull up beside the platform. Cutlass felt a pit growing inside his chest but gathered the nerves to get on the train. Eyeing the train car, he thankfully found it vacant. Well, Cutlass thought, here's to the end of a fucked up night. Cutlass took a few pills from his pocket along with a fifth of whiskey. He pounded it back and let darkness fill his mind. When Cutlass awoke, the rays of a brightened beach sun peeled open his eyelids. He felt a small, soft spot touching his hand. What the? The rat that had curled up on his hand was launched as he sprang awake. The rat looked up with a curious expression as if to say, come on, man before he vanished into the seats. Cutlass crept sleepily from the subway car, passing an advertisement where someone had familiarly scrawled, Sorry to disturb you. Cutlass walked the boardwalk and kept an eye open for loose change, or maybe some thrown-out untouched food. There was always Nathan's, which wasn't bad for panhandling, although it would be more profitable a few months from now when Coney Island was open. Searching through the streets along the beach for anything he could use to get some money for food, Cutlass thought his luck may just be about to change when he saw an abandoned purse under a bench, a rat fleeing as he approached. Cutlass rifled through the purse and found 15 bucks and a sloppy note that simply said, Eat. The note looked like the edges had been chewed on. Cutlass looked around. He ducked onto the ground and looked under the bench. Today's too weird, thought Cutlass. Five dollars for a chopped cheese and eight on some vodka, and it was back to the rails. As long as you grabbed a train at a terminal station... You never really had to worry about getting stopped on the train during the day. The night was the hardest time to avoid cops and social service workers. No sense getting picked up now. That would mean a waste of pills. 
Cutlass popped one and sipped the vodka, letting the world bubble around him with a frothy warmth. The train had not moved yet when Cutlass's eyes caught the message across from him. Doesn't that feel better, Cutlass? Eyes wide, Cutlass realized the pills must have been spiked. He looked at his hands and pinched his cheeks. Fuck, 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 what's happening? Cutlass said aloud to the empty train car. Cutlass started running down the train car, getting to the separating doors and prying them open to get to the next car. He slammed the door behind him, panting. His breathing labored from fuzziness that came from mild intoxication. On the glass of the door, Cutlass saw scratched in the window. Relax. Enjoy the ride. The train suddenly lurched forward. Cutlass stumbling into the handicap-only seating. He quickly pulled out three more pills, chugged half the bottle, and let his body collapse deep into the plastic seating. A blabbering puddle of humanity. Mumbling and groggy, Cutlass looked up to see the sign for Jackson Avenue. Queens? Cutlass stammered, shuffling and tripping out of the train car. Cutlass plopped onto the wooden bench and saw scratched into the wooden arms. Have a good rest? Oh, now you be quiet, you. Cutlass loudly shot back at nothing in particular. What the fuck did you say to me? A large man was staring down at the half-conscious boy. No, no, sir, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the fairy. Cutlass responded absentmindedly. You just call me gay, you little piece of shit? Shouted the man, grabbing Cutlass by the collar and pulling him to his feet. No, 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 no. Cutlass eyed around nervously. To his right, Cutlass saw the familiar text that had been following him all day. Look out below. The text read, and suddenly a clarity came over Cutlass, as if he'd had the answers all along, but had just refused to let himself believe they were true. Cutlass eyed his captor cautiously. Tell me, sir, do you know what a rat king is? The large man looked at Cutlass and, without responding, slammed a meaty right-handed hook into his gut. Cutlass stumbled back and fell to his back. The large man approached, raising his left, and then he felt something small but hard hit his head. A tiny bit of crumbling cement landed next to Cutlass, just before the loud crash of hundreds of rats falling from a broken area of ceiling. A large piece of rock had knocked the man out, and the rats were tearing through his clothes. Cutlass didn't waste time getting up and sprinted down the platform, laughing as he read the scribbled messages written across the subway advertisements. Wasn't that fun? Why don't you come join us where it's safe? Right this way. Cutlass saw the yellow fence on the edge of the platform left open, running down the steps into the enveloping darkness. Minutes after running down the tracks, the excitement and adrenaline of the escape began to subside. The darkness felt overwhelming, and Cutlass became unsure what he was doing in the tunnel. He thought he might just end up in the next station over, but as his feet kept marching on, one foot in front of the other, he began to feel he was going deeper and deeper underground. At some point, he must have turned. Hadn't he? He really couldn't remember. He felt incredibly sleepy, but his feet seemed to robotically continue down into the catacombs of the subway system. There were no sources of light, but the tunnels took on an otherworldly glow all onto themselves. Cutlass wanted to stop his march into the tunnel so badly, He'd do anything to crawl down onto the floor and sleep. He could see the outlines of others, souls already entangled in the beguiling shadows of the tunnels. He could feel rodents now climbing over his legs and under his clothing. Soon they were over so much of his skin, he wasn't sure if he could tell the difference. Cutlass felt the fairy presence ahead of him, but he couldn't tell the form. To Cutlass, he was a shadow of unknowable size. In a crescendo of whispers, it asked, What do you you desire? desire? Cutlass had never thought about it, really. He didn't think anyone would ever ask him. 
Well, to sleep. Suddenly, a thought burst through his fogged mind. What if the fairy was a genie? What if he needed to be specific with his wish? I want, I want to sleep in my home. Much better, he thought, as his eyes clattered over. Kerthunk, kerthunk, kerthunk. What the fuck is at the door? At this hour, for Christ's sake, I swear I should go straight to the closet, get my gun, and then... Oh, it's Curtis. What are you doing back here? I told you there's no place for you here. Cutlass's eyes trembled in their sockets as his body began to shake violently. His eyes rolled to white as his mouth went slack, letting out a shrill tempest of noise. As Cutlass began to step in, rats poured out of the sleeves of his jacket, out of the legs of his pants, and out of the hole that used to be the young man's mouth. Curtis's mom stumbled backwards, falling over empty bottles. Rats began to stream across the floor like a torrent sweeping over her body. She vanished beneath the wave, but for hours the lump where she lay heaved under the mass of wriggling fur bodies. Cutlass rode the wave. His body carried into the kitchen where the mat lay where he used to sleep. His body collapsed onto the mattress as he too became immersed and one with the rat horde. Beautifully read, Alan. I, I think that the message in that one yes. was crystal clear. Okay. Don't be poor. No, of course not. That, that's, that's right. Of course, don't be poor. No, of, I said, of course not. That was written by our friend Dan Roberts, who does wonderful work with people experiencing homelessness. We've had him on the show several times. So, no, of course, that's not Dan's moral. Absolutely not. I think the moral there is for parents who kick kids out of their homes, maybe. Maybe that's more of the moral. I also like that it was like a reverse Pied Piper story. Tell me more. So the Pied Piper is supposed to lead all the rats out of the city. I thought it was the kids. Excuse me. The Pied Piper is commissioned to lead the rats out of the city. But they they stiff him. Stiff him good. Yeah, they they choose not to pay him. So he uses his his leading tunes and gets all the kids. Yeah, gets the kids out of the city instead. As revenge. Exactly, because you gotta you gotta pay your debts. That's right. But in this case, it was the rats leading the kid. Yeah. And then he goes home and starts shooting rats at his family. (laughs) This is freaking pretty cool. Yeah, I I like the story a lot. I thought it was a cool. I mean, it's dark, mm-hmm. uh, which but, is a very on brand. I'm glad we had uh, w- <laughs> one spooky fairy tale. I think all of them are spooky, but yeah, this one was especially spooky. And what the hell's spooky about Rapunzel? The, he falls out, and his he his eyes are blinded by prickers. Prickers, no, <laughs> by thorns. I mean, it's pretty dark now. I mean, if you're gonna blind somebody. You might as well abastinate them. Abastinate? Yeah. Another vocab word? A beautiful vocab word. To abastinate is to burn out one's eyes with a hot poker. Yikes. It is amazing what kind of vocabulary you can learn from Slayer. <laughs> It'd be cool to, we could make like a writing challenge where we pick five words like that and see what stories people come up with. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I guess that rounds out our three-part series on fairy tales. I had so much fun with this. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah, pretty good. Rate it 1 through 10. Mm, solid. It's pretty solid. <laughs> pretty solid, yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much, John Cook, for being part of all three episodes. If you're not already a fan of the Fado podcast like we are, 
Please go subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can follow Fado on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and also on Patreon. And of course, thank you again to Dan Roberts for writing this awesome and haunting story to close out our series. Totally. Yeah. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.